Welcome to Checking In, a weekly podcast from Hotel Owner, the UK's trusted source of hotel industry news and analysis. Each week we meet a new guest and learn their story, all the highs and lows, triumphs and disasters they've faced and how they got through to the other side. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you listen to. To get more industry insight, head to hotelowner.co.uk and subscribe for unlimited access. If you're interested in sponsoring episodes of the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at hotelowner.co.uk. Hello, I'm Lewis Catchpole, online editor at Hotel Owner, and I'll be the host of this episode. I'm joined by Mario Flanagan, who is the general manager of Hyatt and as London Liverpool Street. We discuss Mario's journey into hospitality, from starting as a concierge in South Africa, brushing shoulders of Michael Jackson and Michelle Obama, and how Andaz uses data to create the best guest experience it can. Mario, thanks for joining us. Um, I wanted to start this episode by kind of asking you how you got into hospitality, um, what kind of inspired you, and uh, yeah, where your career began. I think my career and how I got into hospitality is quite different to most general managers, where I actually stumbled across um, hotels. Um, in South, I'm from South Africa, and in South Africa, to having a, a job, um, earning some money, um, you'd either work in a restaurant or in a bar and so forth. And my uncle was working in this five-star relationship hotel called the Grand Rush Hotel in Paul. And I, came, I finished school and just started there as a, a, a luggage porter, as a casual, casual job. And I remember the first time I took the luggage off, this German couple carried the luggage to the room and they gave me $10 at the time. <laughs> and I think I probably earned $10 a week <laughs> carrying the luggage. Um, made me realize that this is the career for me. <laughs> you know, it's an easy way of making some money. Um, and that's when I started working as I was carrying the luggage and then seeing what else the industry had to offer, you know. Um, and I loved just interacting with people, meeting different people, and then progressed further from carrying luggage to seeing what they do at the reception desk and just being inquisitive and finding out what they were doing um, and learned more about it, you know, then progressed through the, through the years um, in different parts of the industry. Circling on that, that first part where you kind of just started, um, you know, carrying people's luggage, that's very, you know, people-focused, um, guest-facing interactions. Was, do you think that was like a real big benefit to, you know, starting a career, being that close to, to the action, so to speak? I think, yes, I, th- I always say to people is that how I started in the career of hospitality was more of a natural approach to things because my family, my, my father's from Port Elizabeth, my mother's from Cape Town, and they moved over to Cape Town. And I think most people can relate to this is where if you in South Africa or you're South African or with living with big families and you're traveling, you'd always have families coming over and spending the night with you. And I remember where we had family come to stay with us, it'd be, it'd be bath the night before or, or the, before the, the, the people actually came to visit you. Mom would cook the best of meals, you'd have towels, everything would be clean and tidy. Um, and then from there, you'd realize that that's what hospitality was. You'd welcome the uncle or the aunt that's coming to visit you, you'd, you'd do the best things for them. Um, and I think it's the way we, we grew up that made me feel quite natural in the way we, we dealt with guests at, at the hotels. Mm, I, I guess with, you know, places like South Africa, kind of hospitality is almost in the blood as well, just because of, you know, where you're, you're situated. Obviously, so many people want to visit your country that, you know, probably just from adaption, you know, it's kind of a welcoming area. Yeah, because the homes are different, you know, you, you're entertaining all the time at your home. So for me, it became quite a natural environment. and. When I started working in the hotels, I realized I can just be myself and just be natural, greet people, probably as if you can earn money from doing that. <laughs> and I was um, 
doing a bit of research and uh, come across that you you brushed shoulders with some celebrities quite early on in, in your boarding days. Uh, can you tell me a bit about that? It was quite strange for me because I've never been really that much into celebrities, but I do recall when I was working at the Grand Rush Hotel, they realized that I've got a driver's license. Um, and I could drive, and one day the driver never came to work, and I had to start driving. Um, and from that, I just enjoyed driving, and I'd done advanced driving courses and so forth. And I remember in 1997, I worked at the Table Bay Hotel, uh, leading the tolls of the world out in Cape Town. And Michael Jackson came to the city, and wow. I was asked to be the, the, the designated driver for Michael Jackson to go to the Greenpoint Stadium. Um, that was a great experience, you know. Um, Kate Moss, Naomi Campbell, Richard Branson, are all people that I used to drive. Um, but also being as concierge, you'd also meet a lot of big top celebrity people. And also when I was working as a rooms division specialist, I worked with a gentleman called Chris Noon. Um, and we went to the Million Dollar in 2003 at the golf. Not the Million Dollar, it was the President's Cup mm -hmm. in George. And there we met Tiger Woods and all the top golf players as well. And then chartered a plane to get them all to the million dollar for Sun International a week after. So you're on the plane with all the golfers, all the caddies, and it felt like a massive football trip in the nice <laughs> possible way, like a school trip, you know. Mm. But yeah, it was a nice experience. I guess at that time as well, especially with Michael Jackson, he probably must have been the most famous person in the world at that time. At that time, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Was, definitely. So was it like dealing with guests on, on you know, that kind of level obviously you never want to give preferal, preferential treatment to, to guests over another but it must come with some certain differences and and kind of how you act obviously you want to treat them as like many other people but it must have some kind of differences how, how do you go about navigating that you know very interesting question um i think through the years hospitality has changed and through the years when you deal with celebrities it also changes you know so I think the best way of dealing with it is making them feel as normal as possible, or making them feel as comfortable as possible. And if you can break down the barriers between that and make them feel that you are not doing it just because who they are and you're doing it because you want to do it and you feel you want to do things, then you break down more barriers and you get them to be their natural selves as well. Mm. You know? So um, I think for me, the interesting part was it was when I was at the Churchill and Michelle Obama came to visit. And I was the hotel manager there, and they've said, Mario, will you meet Michelle Obama? The flight's coming in at half past 11 tonight. I said, yes, no problem. And I waited half past 11, 12 o'clock, and the party arrived, and they said, Mario, she's very tired. Do you mind meeting tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock? So I said, yeah, not a problem. I remember going downstairs, waiting in the in the back of us area, and they put this board up, and there was Secret Service all over, and their own photographer. Um, and we was standing and I was quite nervous because what do you do? You've got these guys with guns and, you know, secret service. And she came down the, the, the lift, um, walked up to me. Obviously, they briefed her before. She knew my name, said, Mario, how are you doing? Great. I'd love to stay. Staff's amazing. Would you like a photograph? So I said, yeah, would love a photograph. And then she stood next to me. And all of a sudden, she grabbed me around the waist and just pulled me closer. <laughs> and, and I thought, what do I do? <laughs> do I do the same? Are they going to shoot? <laughs> yeah, watching out for those secret service. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I guess it you know, bringing it back to kind of the quality of of um, of the service, it probably permeates through the hotel. You know, if if, if you have good standards with, with guests in, in the first place, when you have these more VIP-esque kind of guests staying, it's not really too much of a difference if you treat, you know, every guest the kind of the same way. Look, you've got to treat, you can't treat them the same way. I think the important part is preferences. So um, the detail is in the data. You know, so if, you, if you've if got a regular customer or a regular guest coming to your hotel, 
and your team intelligent enough to make every single comment of this guest, what the guest likes or what the guest dislikes or and so forth. And you've got a good profile on the guest. It's not rocket science just to accomplish achieving the profile of that customer, you know, uh, but also keeping it up to date because maybe this month I tried to be vegan and next month I tried not to be vegan. Or maybe mm. it's in the summer I like white wine in the winter I like red wine, you know? So it's about definitely finding out the data. It's definitely finding about the conversation with the customer. Um, and what we do at the end is where we, when our receptionists speak to the customer, they find out how was your journey, what happened, um, what was the travels, as a family, what's the purpose of visit and so forth. And the customer will think to talk to you. And as they talk to you, you create random acts of generosity. You know, so which means you take from that conversation and the receptionist is empowered to do a gift, right? Or something relevant for that customer, that experience they've achieved for the day, you know? So it's all about just trying to make that personable experience, you know, mm. because every hotel does exactly the same, right? The emotion, it's the emotional connection that makes a difference for the customer to come back. And it's not the general manager to make that, you know, if you've got 300 staff, you've got 300 people that can deal with your guests, that can make that experience. You've got one general manager is not going to see 300 guests. Be lucky if he sees 10, you know? Mm. It's interesting that you kind of mentioned like almost those profiles are on those type of guests that it's not saying I would, I would afford it. But do you think that will ever kind of uh, maybe expand into hotels doing that to more wider kind of range of guests? If you if you have a guest that, you know, comes July every year, that you know, you start building up this. It, I guess it happens almost naturally, but in a, in a system kind of um, process that maybe other hotels could implement as well do you think that would ever be almost viable to kind of you know build up a profile of individual guests 100 percent. I, I don't touch wood i wouldn't think that there's an operating hotel today that is not doing it or a restaurant chain or any business because the detail is in the data you know so you have to get the profile i look at any large company have a membership program so we've got world of hyatt as a membership profile so anywhere where that customer would stay any experience they've had, everything they like, what preference they book and so forth becomes part of the data. It's like when you're scrolling through your phone or TikTok or anything, it builds up a system of what you actually enjoy and what you like. Um, so they will create something for you, you know? So what I would say is that if you are a smaller talent and so forth, it's important to understand who your customer is, understand what they like, what their preferences are, and keep it relevant. Continue the conversation, but try to make that conversation a one-to-one -one conversation, understanding what makes that person that person, mm. and what makes them tick. Um, some people might call it stalking, but there's a lot of stuff open to the public. You know, mm. you can go into Facebook and you can see if, they, if they've got the open profile, you can go see them on Facebook. You can see them on Twitter. You can understand exactly what they like and so forth. You can see what the what picture was like the most. You can actually print that picture. You can print a picture frame. You can put it next to the bed. Hmm. Mm -hmm. because these are not things that is um, protected. There's no data privacy on it. If, the, if it is available and they make it really available to the public, you can see it. And if the customer sees that you've, not that you've stalked them, it's more about saying that you are taking an interest in what their likes and dislikes are in life, you know, and how do you make that as personable as possible. Mm. And I guess, as you say, everyone says, saying, you know, first impressions count. If you're If that's their first ever stay with you, and that's the initial impression you're giving, uh, you know, repeat customers must, it must be easy since that happens. 100%. So you've got your repeat customer, which is, you've got the data. The challenge is now making sure that you can deliver every single time. Because once you've made one fantastic stay, it needs to be every fantastic stay, mm. you know. 
And that's the trick where you need to make sure you've always got the training, the development of your teams. You're keeping it fresh. You're retaining uh, your teams and your staffing as well because at the end of the day, the customer makes a connection with the person, not with the hotel. Mm. It's interesting you kind of bring that back about executing on those. I wanted to bring you back and ask you, what was it like stepping up into that first hotel manager role and learning all these different kind of nuances that you've just described and, and making you know, your message be able to be executed by your team? What, what was that like? How did you kind of, I guess it's a, a growing process for yourself as, as well as, you know, encouraging a team. Um, I'm going to phrase it differently. So when I was working in Cape Town, I was um, director of rooms. When I moved to Hyatt in Johannesburg, I was also director of rooms. When I came to Johannesburg, and I came up with ideas and tried to teach, give people advice on what we need to do and how we're going to go forward with doing things. The first thing people told me was, Mario, this is not Cape Town, this is Johannesburg. And eventually understood what they were meaning. And then I came from Johannesburg to London as the hotel manager of the Churchill Hotel. And Mark looked at things, seeing what the opportunities were and so forth, spoke to the teams and so forth. And I said, this is what we should do, this is how we should go about dealing with things. I said, Mario, this is London, not South Africa. And then I moved to Birmingham um, as the general manager of that hotel. And the same scenario. So Mario, this is Birmingham, not London. But we made some changes, made some things, and that was successful. And then from Birmingham, I came to the Andes. And the same story was, this is how we're doing it. So Mario, this is East London, not Birmingham. So we made some changes and it was successful. And now I tell people, I know where I am. <laughs> you need to realize that you're not stuck in one box, you know, mm -hmm. and there are different ways of dealing with things and doing things that can improve. If you're doing the same thing over and over and over, you will not improve. You know, you've got to stop something and then restart it, you know, to see what you need to do, what the customer actually likes and what the customer doesn't like, you know, um, and sometimes just in our minds that one person says, I like this, I like this, but how much do you like that? Would you like me to give you a bottle of champagne in your room or would you like me to turn down service? What will, will make you feel better? Someone that comes into your room where you feel uncomfortable and someone's going into your room and you say, oh, I left my underpants on the bed or I've done something wrong or I didn't clean it enough and so forth, what they're going to think. You know, so why do we continue doing something? I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think it's a great touch that's in there as well. But I guarantee you 50, more than 50% of people feel uncomfortable when people come to them and do turn on service. Mm. But it's more of a, people talk about it, so it's a nice touch, but is it really? <laughs> what does it cost you to do that service? Could you spend that money on something the customer would appreciate it more? I'm not saying don't do it, but it's a way we've got to think of what is relevant at the time mm. for the customer. I guess, it, again, it depends on the customer themselves, isn't it? Correct. As well. So, yeah, having a blanket kind of... Um, process it doesn't work doesn't for everybody work. i'm quite interested on what you said about there they're saying you know this isn't london this is birmingham this isn't johannesburg this is london what what were their primary concerns is that guests are different or uh, it's quite interesting to see what their kind of you know hesitations were most people's primary concern is change mm. it's change you know they don't want to stop the system because they think the system is going to break and it will <laughs> it will but once it breaks, you can fix it and you can see what to change and what you can do better and better and better. You know, you will not get any progress if you do not try to change. 
you know, mm. you don't you don't try to change. You know, um, the Formula One teams wouldn't be the way it is today if there wasn't change. You know, if it might be a safety change, it might be a speed change, it might be a technology change, it might be something, but you've got to change. You know, it's um, I don't like talking about this topic, but I think I look at COVID, right? For hospitality, people were forced to change, right? And you couldn't just go back and do what you've done in the past, but people did. Mm. <laughs> and they struggled and they're still struggling. And a lot of businesses never, wasn't agile enough to change fast enough and they shut down because they just thought they're just going to keep that business exactly the same the way they're going to be doing it. Um, but you have to change you know, and do things for what the market dictates and what the data tells you. I guess as well, if you're making that change and you know it not necessarily goes to plan, you're still benefit benefiting from the change because you're learning from maybe why it didn't work or you know it didn't work here but perhaps it could work in this part of the business uh, you know i guess as you say if you're staying still then there's no there's no room for improvement correct that's like it's not only the business and the time it's, it's the situation as well something else might have had to change your demographic might have changed your clientele might have changed you might be situated in a city hotel that's mainly corporate you might be a group hotel you might be a leisure hotel and so forth. So there's a lot of things that goes around this thing to understand it. So there's not a one size fits all to any hotel. You know, it's, I cannot walk into a hotel and just saying, I'm going to take Cape Town and put it into to, to London. But there's certain things of customer service that I can, mm. you know. Um, and it's not taking that same thing and put it to London. It's understanding the data, understanding the customer's feedback to that and then doing it. Just listen to what the customer is actually saying. But the principle of it, is the same. Listen, action, test. Mm. Um, I was interested to see if when you did move to these different hotels and you were setting up these changes, was there a common theme or thing that you found where they were maybe doing things not necessarily wrong, but could be improved? Was there a common, okay, the first thing you come in, I want to look at this. That's how can we change this? Is there a certain aspect? I think one thing I learned very early in my career, um, from my concierge days, when I was the youngest person within my division, you don't tell people what to do. Mm. <laughs> you make sure that it's the idea, you know. And most people have the answers. They know exactly what, what is there, but they normally say it as a passing or they say it in a way that they're saying it, but they don't want to do it. So it's about how do you make sure that people are rowing the same direction? How do you make it their ideas, have your ideas, what you want to do, but have the conversation and to make sure that they are saying what you're saying and then agreeing with it and then implementing it. So it has to come from them, not from you to putting it out there, or it comes from your customer. That is it's what the customer is saying to be pushing through. And I think that's very common in any organization, whether it being hotels, any business as well, is making sure that the people believe and the people will, will, will be able to do it. You know, because I'm one person, if I believe, I've got 300 people that needs to believe. So mm. one person not going to make the change. 300 people will make the change. So the common denominator is the people. So you've got to make sure that you've got the strongest team, the team believes, and there's opportunity for that team as well to grow and to develop as well. You know, so I think that's the key part of, of hospitality. Um, it's always been the people. Mm. I think you made a very interesting point there, which I want to pick up on is if you say, if I was a, you know, a, uh, busboy or or you know, someone working in a restaurant or hotel and I thought I had this great idea to change something but maybe my you know boss wasn't receptive what key bit of advice would you give to that person to you know maybe get that idea across without as you say without it being forceful or, or, or 
making them see maybe the improvement themselves. I'm sure you've maybe done that in your own time. How, how did you get that done? I would say speak up, but find the right opportunity. Mm. You know, don't speak up, find the right opportunity. So most organizers, we've got a higher talk. Um, we've got different things that we create. I'll change around. Most business leaders need to create the opportunity for the teams to speak. Mm. Right? So for someone just to go up to the CEO, to talk to the CEO, your ideas, wrong opportunity, there's other things on their mind, and so forth, there'll be a problem. You won't be able to get your message across as effectively as possible. So it leads to the fact that organization needs to make sure there's an opportunities for people to be able to communicate freely um, without being judged, right? So with us, we've got a higher talk, right? So I will, we'll do it for birthday months. So everyone's months, whichever month your birthday is in, from different divisions, it will come together and we'll do one celebration and we'll have a higher talk or unless talk. So we'll just talk about things generally, ideas and so forth as well. But departments will also have their meetings and they also have a section there to ideate and give ideas and so forth as well. But also in our organization, we're quite free of how we could speak and how we can actually share ideas as well. So it's creating as much opportunities as possible, but also creating a lot of enough social, but cross divisions in, in hotel, social side, because you find the best ideas coming across in a social environment, not a business environment. When you're talking about a busboy or someone coming through the ranks and wants to give that idea, you know, so it's that just socially where everybody's on a one-to-one -one level and they can express themselves as effectively as possible. Mm. You hear about it in a business setting of, in corporate companies of, you know, finding personalities that match. Um, is that something that's also in the mind when setting up a hotel team? Um, you know, if someone's better guest facing or someone has more of a mind for you know sifting through the data finding those things what's that like setting you know getting a team all as you said rowing in the same direction how much is that a part of it it's also in, on a skill set level look it's important to create the right team right so for me i'm very fortunate i've got seven people in my team you know um and a team is not longer larger than 10 people but that's one thing i learned you know it's that i don't have a team of 300 i have mm. a team of seven you know, so I've got to make sure that, that seven people perform to the best of their ability. That seven people can get their ideas across to each other. That that seven people can become best friends with each other. That that seven people have different strengths and different weaknesses that they can learn from each other and they can grow and develop on that those things. But very importantly for me, I'm the generalist. I'm the general manager. I'm the generalist. I must not know more than any one of those seven people. They are the specialists in those things. And for me to make any decision that I will make, I need to make sure that I take their specialism, I respect their specialism in what they do, but also understand them as people to understand how they tick to get to that answer or solution of how they're thinking as well. So it's quite complicated to say what that would be, but it's making sure that you're putting people with proper strengths in there. I mean, I've had a team in my career which were brilliant people in their own individual ways, but one of those people were brilliant in what they'd done but they had bad man management and they had bad interpersonal skills with their team, right? And that, that broke it. That broke it completely. So it wasn't a smooth flowing team and that broke divisions within the hotel as well. And it just didn't foster the entire hotel wasn't joined and aligned because of one senior person that just detracted from what we believed in or what our values was as, as, as a company or as a hotel. I guess as well, knowing your team on a on a personal level helps if, you know, maybe one month they aren't 
firing on all cylinders like they usually are, you would be able to pick up, oh, this might be something in their personal life that's affecting this. It's not necessarily they're doing their job wrong. It might be, you know, people have loads of things going on. It, it, I guess it's almost important then is to to know your people as much as knowing your, your customers and guests that are staying to get that final result. 100%. So, and that's the thing with hospitality as well. It's the customer is not wrong when, or it might not be the specific thing they're complaining about. They might be complaining about a hay in the shower, but it's not the hay in the shower that's making them mad or crazy. There's something else that has happened. They're not complaining that their room is not ready at 11 o'clock in the morning and check-in time is 3 o'clock. It's the fact that there's other things that happen to it. And the same thing with, with the staff member. No one goes out to set a bad experience. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to make somebody unhappy today. Mm-hmm. No. You know, so I always find it quite difficult to understand where people feel that someone was malicious towards them or done something purposefully, you know, um, not to create a good experience. Um, mistakes do happen. Mistakes do happen regularly, you know, and the mistakes creates the most amazing customer service. You know, so how do you recover from that mistake? How do you acknowledge that mistake? And how do you work from that mistake? I don't see a lot of customers and a lot of General, general managers do not see a lot of customers. When I do need to deal with a customer, that customer will probably become my best friend. That's philosophy because you wouldn't be able to see because a lot of people think that you asked me about guest services earlier or guest relations. I'm not the person to speak about guest relations. My guest relations manager will be that person that speaks about that guest relations, you know, because hotels has moved on through the years. The role of a general manager is not meeting and shaking hands and writing out cards anymore. It's not, you're running a business. <laughs> like any big business, you're dealing with complex financial issues, you're dealing with legal issues, you're dealing, you're dealing with a lot of things, you know? Um, and that's what you've got to do. And your different teams, different sections of the hotel needs to be dealing with that customer and so forth. But you have to pick up the pieces and you have to make sure that those people that need attention, you're going to put that attention in the right direction, you know? Um, so yeah. <laughs> So, as you say, when, you know, often you're meeting a customer, you're, you're, you're there to make them your best friend. What are those type of situations or have you ever had like a memorable situation where that's, that's occurred? And then, you know, as you say, you've took the, the experience to that level and, and you know, the, the guest has been more, obviously more happy leaving when, than when they've, they've come to you. I've actually got a good example. Um, and I'm sure the person wouldn't mind me sharing this example because actually one of my best friends today. Um, and it's a family out in, in Birmingham when I was there. And they did a lot of weddings and ceremonies um, throughout the years for 25 years uh, in this hotel. And this gentleman is part of a, 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 a British Dental Association. And they eventually had the events with us, you know. But from an experience that went wrong in the hotel, we dealt with the experience, you tell me what it was and so forth made a promise, corrected the experience, but always gave that personal attention to these, this individual and this family and so forth as well, turned things around. So wherever they will go to, anywhere in the world, they'll use Hyatt. Any business they will do, they will use Hyatt. They will use that company, but because of that relationship um, between myself and, and him. But not only myself, this is most general managers that has a connection with the customer that will always drive that connection. Mm. I guess it's like almost the biggest opportunity Correct. Um, and, and I guess that's what, you know, would separate your hotel or hire 
or any other hotel from from others is if, if someone's had a negative experience and then that's only been re- reaffirmed by trying to sort out you know it's it's never going to be recovered yet if you can do more than than what was you know required in the first place that is the, almost the the best case scenario of creating that you know connection isn't it like it's it's come from almost nothing to to going above and beyond correct that's it get the basics right <laughs> get the basics right if you haven't met the basics you got to go over and above you know if someone's complaining about something you got to acknowledge um and then go over and above because you have to that that that's just one of those things um i, I wanted to again kind of circle back slightly when you mentioned you know obviously there isn't the, the customer always comes first there's the differences from south america uh, south africa to to london but i wanted to maybe hone on and is there any differences between those obviously culturally and and um even, even just the kind of location in itself what were those differences and how did you find kind of adapting to the uk and, and london and birmingham um I'm going to go back to your first statement. The customer always comes first. And I think we need to dig deeper into that. So the customer is definitely paying to stay for the room and giving you the money. But for you to give that customer experience, you shouldn't be putting the customer first. Right? You've got to look at the overall feature of it. You've got to look after your staff. Right, you look after your colleagues. You got to train your colleagues. You got to make sure everything is that. Once you look after them, right, mm-hmm. you look after your owner. <laughs> they own it. Make sure the owner's got money, and so he's going to give you the money to pay your staff and so forth. Then you can look after your suppliers that they deliver the things on time. They make it the best product and so forth that that goes through. Then you got to look at the community that they make sure that they can keep the place around it clean and tidy. That they can respect things. They're going to be building their buildings accordingly to make sure it looks good. They're going to invest in the area and so forth. And then you can put your customer first, mm. you know, because it is, you can do what you need to do. You need all the other players to do what they need to do before you can put the customer first. So I would say that the customer's always right and so forth. It's not the case, you know. We've always got to make the customer feel that they want it, that they need it, that they are right, you know. Um, but you've got to put everything else into perspective before you can deliver on a service uh, for what the customer deserves. Mm. So, I guess that doesn't change wherever you are, really, does it? It doesn't. Like, that, but that's what I'm saying to Fifit as well. Is that the main thing is that no matter where you are in the world, it is something to make that customer service exceptional. You do the basics right and make sure you touch an emotion, made an emotional connection with not you but someone in your organisation. Mm-hmm. We look at um, so we do a lot of data on surveys from TripAdvisor, any survey that comes through on any platform we'll get the data on it. We will see what the survey is and so forth. And we will reply to every single one of those surveys. And whether it even has been a tick, a like, or whatever, we will reply to it. We've got someone that's going to reply to it. If there's anything negative, we'll do a word survey, right? We'll see what the ch- word charts is, what goes on every month. Um, majority of the times, the biggest um, positive promoter would be staff. And the biggest score changing is using the not the customer's name where the customer uses the associate's name or the staff's name right so we know that it can an emotional connection was made so as soon as the name is mentioned you know that the scores are going to go through the roof mm. you know so it's a key part of looking at that data and saying how do you get that across you know 
And the funniest part of all, in our town, we don't wear name badges. <laughs> we don't wear name badges, as a rule. Mm. Yeah, at any unders, right, we don't wear name badges. Because we try to encourage customers to talk. And it's about trying to encourage the breaking the boundaries that is created. Um, we have a wine hour, right? So we try to make your check-in as fast and as possible that you, you go up your room. But every evening between 6 and 7, we have a wine hour. So when you come and you're coming from business service, come down, come have a chat with us. It could be myself, it could be members of the team, it could be anyone. Have a glass of wine with the customer. Now we talk. And you know the local areas. How's your day been? How's this? If you want to talk, not when you want to check in and get your bags up the room, but come down and drink a glass of wine with us. You know? uh, we don't attend it in every room, but we can provide service. But we do give you a glass of wine. Mm. You know, so just different things you can do to create that connection to make that personal touch as well. I guess with that as well is then you're giving them the option, like you say, you're giving them the personal touch without being overbearing is the right word. But like you say, if, if people don't want to, or, you know, people, you know, when you say when people come into their room for, for cleaning services, they might not be comfortable with that. You're giving it 90% to the customer and then, you know, letting those that want to enjoy it that yeah. come the final 10%. You know, most, most hotelers will not agree with me when I talk about the turnaround service. My advice to them is check in your housekeeping reports and how many do not disturb signs do you have on the door. When it comes to turn down, <laughs> in the nicest possible way. Yeah. Okay. Bringing it to to Anders London Liverpool Street now in your in your current role. Um, again, how did you find kind of taking up that position? Because I, I was, it was, was it just before the pandemic. Twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Yeah. So obviously you've you kind of seen the whole the whole kind of roller coaster of these past couple of years. How how's that kind of journey been? Um, if you've implemented anything new that you maybe haven't done before and just the the current kind of status at the hotel how's it how's it all going so how's it been my, the easiest thing i've ever done <laughs> <laughs> i'm joking i think it was challenging but it's something that i've always wanted to do hospitality has changed has evolved through the years um and unders the brand of unders this hotel was the first unders hotel right so the hotel was the previous Great Eastern Hotel, and it was the first fast hotel in the city of London, right, and built in 1887. It was a Great Eastern Hotel, and obviously it went into distribute in the 90s, after the war, and then Sir Terence Conran bought the hotel and redesigned the hotel, and then Hyatt bought this hotel. But at that point, the hotel didn't suit any of our brands, because here you've got this hotel, quite modern, quite chic, but quite different as well. You've got five bars and restaurants all facing the outside, so it never suited our brand. So we created a brand around the hotel, right? And this is where Anders was born. So that hotel was the first Anders. So Anders means um, personal style, right? Um, and it's a luxury lifestyle hotel. And when this hotel was opened as the Anders, things were done differently. So no ties. We, we, we welcome people with tattoos, staff with tattoos, earrings, pink hair, yellow hair. Just be yourself, you know? So it made it a true luxury lifestyle. Not that that makes it a luxury lifestyle, but it was saying that let's break the norm. You don't have to have a certain look and wear a tie and so forth that, that to work in a five-star hotel. It is about that service that is there. So that's what I loved about the under. So the brand allowed you to think differently and do things differently and explore. And when I took over in 2019, it was a great, marvelous, successful hotel, right? Um, and it went through every year different successes and in 2019 we've done some changes and it was the best year 
that the hotel has seen for many reasons. You know, positioning, location, how we set up the rooms, how we solved a lot of things. Right. Um, and 2019 was just an amazing year. But the things we tried to implement, right, to make certain change was difficult because it was difficult to get people to actually change. Because you're not going to change if you don't believe. And if people were doing things the right way and making money and people are happy and so forth, it's difficult to tell them we want that extra 5%, mm. you know. Um, then 2020 happened, COVID happened. And it was probably the most difficult thing in any hotelier's life where we we talk about our, our, our purpose is we care for people to be the best. And we talk about family and so forth as well. And in the hotel, we've got families working in the same place. And we never put 300 staff members and you you know you're never going to open or you might not ever open and so forth and you're losing a lot of money every month and you're going to make difficult decisions. Um, and then we basically dropped from 300 people to 106 people, you know. Um, that was heartbreaking, you know. Um, but not that you had to let people go. It was how people perceived it. But you're thinking that they'll hate it and they, they're going to hate you and they're going to hate the company. They will ask questions, Mario, are you okay? Mm. You know what I mean? Because they, and then the managers, they were, they were asking, how, how are we doing it? Are you okay? We understand this, you know? I guess that comes from the culture you implemented in that past year. Correct. Um, but then it's rebuilding that again. So to rebuild what you've had in the past in that difficult environment was a challenge. Um, and the customer wasn't as forgiving as people think, you know, because in anything, the airlines have a problem. We just shout and scream and so forth. But there's a technical problem. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? No matter what you're going to do, there, there's going to be backlog to it, you know? Um, so it's the build-up of it. So I think how we approached it at the end at that point was knowing the fact that our key was our people, or is our people. Um, so one of the things we've done differently where other hotels were going through it and um, capping the occupancy and not taking customers in and so forth, we decided not to do that. We decided to, we, because you couldn't find people, you couldn't find trained people and so forth. We tried a different route we done a BUR campaign. So we said, everybody's under us, you know? Um, just love what you do, love the customers. If you've got a great personality, come in and we'll, we will, we'll teach you, you know? But you can come from any walk of life to do so. And then we also had a lady uh, coming back to join Hyatt, or Unders, um, as a contract for three months, and her role was purely stay, being in the hotel three days a week, staying in the hotel for two nights a week, and purely doing the post-COVID employee journey. So talking to each and every single employee, the daytime, the evening, and tell us what you thought. So what do we have to change? What do we have to do differently? And so forth. So we're focusing on the people itself, understanding what they do. And we adjusted things, you know. We adjusted pay rates. We adjusted hours. We adjusted times of work. We adjusted everything, you know, just to suit the teams. And by doing that, we didn't have to cap our occupants because we have people coming to work for us. And we focus on training. We focus on development and just telling the stories. And I think that was success for us to to get us to where we, we are today and to build the teams we built today. Um, but at the same time, that success is that you do and you build great people and you've got a company that is expanding <laughs> dramatically as we are in as Hyatt, especially in London. Um, all our people, we tend to move on into better roles, better positions within the company. And then you've got to build back up on that again as well. So uh, it's, it's, it's sad. <laughs> to see them go, but it's it's a great honor to know that we build people from the unders into other high totals and other people in the industry at, at the same time. So um, that's a difficult part of the under. So 
Um, we also what we're doing now is we continue to build our teams, continue to develop our teams. Um, in all aspects of things, we our main focus is also focusing on diversity and inclusion. You know, so I can proudly say that my senior leadership team is 60-40. When I say 60% female, 40% male, um, but also completely diverse. Um, each and every single person, the general manager of South African, got different nationalities in every single role and, and a section in that section. We've got a lot of our mid-managers as well um, that are either uh, um, uh, totally diverse backgrounds of as well, so we can make sure that we are driving that entire culture throughout um, the organization and also within London at the same time as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, how have you, how has summer 2023 been for Anders and, and, and the hotel? How, how have you seen stays, occupancy? Um, and kind of what, what are the plans are for the, for the upcoming year? Yeah. So the city of London is normally, the summer months are normally quiet. This summer has been the best summer we've ever seen. You know, our occupancy rates, um, July and August, we're just finishing August this, obviously finishing the month of August now. It's the best August we've ever seen since the history of the hotel. Um, our food and beverage is strong. A lot of people still come back in the city, and it's nice to see they get more tourists coming into East London at the, the shortage area as well. Um, and there's lots more exciting things to come. Mario, I think we've definitely got to to know kind of about you and, and your ethos. Um, one thing we like to do for our listeners is is just to finish up by getting to know you maybe a bit more personally. Um, so I've just got some desert island desert island disc style questions to finish on. Um, with the first one being, uh, what's your favourite book? I've got two. Obviously, the first one of South Africans, A Long Walk to Freedom. Yeah. Uh, and the second one that really inspired me was um, Turn the Ship Around, Dave Marquette. Yeah. Mm. What was it that kind of connected uh, to that one? Dave Marquette is a submarine captain and so forth, and then eventually was given a, uh, one of the top submarines. And on the last minute, they were told to take an older submarine. And normally in the Navy, you get a year to study your submarine. You study your, your every single team, you know everything. Um, because you're going to make important decisions. But then they change it around and they give him a different ship. And then he's got to trust and rely more on his team. Mm. Your team knows more than what he knows. And that's a big thing that that I loved about that book. Um, what's your favorite film? I love all the James Bond films. Classics. <laughs> have you got a favorite one of those or is it too often? You know what? I, I like the old one of Piers Morgan. And Piers Brosnan. So the ones with the BMWs, you know, with the, mm. all the BMWs, who was riding those ones. I love those. He's who I think of, and I think of uh, James Bond. Um, <laughs> what's your, this is maybe quite controversial, what's your favourite holiday destination? My favourite holiday, you know what, it's probably the place I've been to the most times. I love Thailand. The first time I went, I went again with family, friends, and we went again just with friends. Um, but I love the value for money you know mm -hmm. i love the i love the people i love um the climate hospitality the hotels the concepts that's in there as well but it, i do feel that it's in people's culture to be hospital you know and and i really love thailand obviously the ocean the sun and so forth as well is always a, a great treat um also what is your pet hate can be maybe in in you know business or or maybe just a personal pet hate my personal pet hate can i say ignorance <laughs> i think that's a good one <laughs> you know because i just feel that people need to be given an opportunity you could listen to people you can understand that people have different viewpoints um but at the same time people need to understand 
on this as well. I think it's probably a cardinal sin in hospitality, it's all right. So. Um, and then finally, what is the uh, best piece of advice you've ever received? Career progression is not a career ladder. It's a lattice. So mm-hmm. you, don't only, you don't only have to move up. You can move sideways. If you move sideways, you get a bit of base and you become quite strong on top. Wow. Um, Mary, it's been an absolute pleasure for you to be here with us. Um, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Checking In, a weekly podcast from Hotel Owner, the UK's trusted source of hotel industry news and analysis. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you listen to. To get more industry insight, head to hotelowner.co.uk and subscribe for unlimited access. If you're interested in sponsoring episodes of the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at hotelowner.co.uk.